Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, it's a joy to be with you on Christmas Day. Thank you so much for coming out. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us and pausing just to reflect upon who God is and what Christ did. Uh, We're going to read through the Luke 2 story in just a moment. And before we do that, last night, if you were with us or if you were with us online, in the Christmas Eve service, we talked about three things we knew about God, the promise of God, the providence of God, and the plan of God. And we unpacked those out of a verse in Galatians. And I, I told you that this morning, I wanted you to kind of be thinking about how God's promises show themselves to be real, and we can count on Him. Uh, The providence of God is His timing, both in circumstances and events. So as we read through the Luke 2 story this morning, I just want you to be thinking, wow, like, I want you to be looking for those moments of providential events and circumstances. And then finally, the plan of God is personal. God tells us that He's called us to be His children, and that plan is personal. Paul said, Um, we know this, Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and I am chief. He immediately makes the gospel personal. So it's not just a religion out there someplace. It's something that we recognize internally as well. Before we open up that text, um, just to Luke 2, just let me share this thought with you out of another passage. And this is, uh, then we're going to look at these characters in a moment. But Hebrews 11 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. As you hear the characters get unpacked in the Luke 2 story, both in the reading and this morning, I just want you to be thinking that we look back and we say, oh, that's Joseph and that's Mary and that's the shepherds, but I want you to try to experience it as if they didn't know what was coming, okay? So I know you got to kind of put your whole, you know the end of the story. I know you know the end of the story, but I want you to just pause there and say, I just want to imagine what it would be like to be Joseph, to have been married, to have been the shepherds, and ultimately when we get there, to have been the magi at the end. So just engage with the story differently than you may have heard it before. Well, I know you just got seated, but it's Christmas morning. Will you stand with me for the reading of the Word out of respect to God's Word? If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me in Luke chapter 2. Now, in those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Move over with me to Matthew chapter 1 for just a moment. Well, the story is much later, Matthew chapter 2. Well, the story happens a few years later. I I tend to think that the wise men saw the star at the birth of Christ and began to travel. You'll understand why it took them a while to get there in a moment. But this is that part of the story we hear. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to the west over to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thank you for standing out of respect for the word. May God bless you. You may be seated. Well, it was an extended reading this morning, but it's not every day we get to celebrate Christmas Sunday on the Christmas day on Christmas Sunday. You're going to have to wait another seven years uh, to do that, and I'm probably going to need new glasses by that stage in my life. So uh, anyhow, it's just great to be able to read the Christmas story on this day. Here's what I want to do with you this morning. Um, When I begin to ponder what it was like for the characters in the Bible to experience the gospel story, the Christmas story, it occurred to me that as they were experiencing it, they had to experience it by faith. They, we look back by faith and believe it, but they had to look forward. They didn't know what was coming. They had decisions to make, determinations to make, um, places to go based upon what had been told them by faith. And so if there's one word that I kind of like to look at Joseph's life, Mary's life, the shepherd's life, and the Magi's life from, 
It's the word faith or believe. The Bible uses those words together. Sometimes you see the same Greek word. It's translated faith. It's also translated as believe. So you can use them together. Here, let's take Joseph, first of all. And if you, we're going to start at, you're almost uh, back there in Matthew. Just stay there for a moment. Because there's some truths from Joseph's life we learned back in Matthew chapter 1. Now, he's the first character you meet in the Luke 2 story. But uh, we learn a little bit more about how he exercised his faith back in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph believed and obeyed. The word I want to connect with you with Joseph is this idea of obedience or surrender. Joseph believed and obeyed, and he did so without hesitation. Now, here's the situation. Joseph was engaged to Mary. Mary comes to him at some stage, it would appear, and says, listen, I'm expecting a child. And, um, and Joseph knows it's not his child. So he says, listen, the engagement is public. I have every right to publicly shame you for being pregnant, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to do it privately. And we learn about that from Joseph. In that process of all of Joseph's consternation and fear, um, he gets a visit from an angel. And that's what I want you to just notice in the text. In Matthew chapter 1, um, we read that the angel comes to him and gives him this message. And she says, he, the angel says to him, listen, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Behold, she that is the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now look, look at verse 24. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son. In other words, she moved in. She was a part of his life, but they were not involved intimately because she was expecting to have the baby, Jesus. What I want you to see is this. The moment he woke up, he obeyed. All that fear, all those other things that were going on, he never thought about them. A second thought once he woke up. His belief revealed itself in obedience without hesitation. Now, here's a great way to think about it. When you look at what God is asking you to do, do you respond that quickly? Do you procrastinate? Do you wait? Do you think, well, I'll get to that one day, and then you change your mind? I want you to see that Joseph heard the word of the Lord from the angel, and immediately, without hesitation, he obeyed. He also did something else. He did this without concern for his reputation. Mary's pregnant. He could have disowned her, but he chooses not to because the angel told him not to. And I love the way it's actually captured in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. For there we read, just notice in the text, and her husband, being a just man and willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, resolved to be separated from her quietly. That's prior to the angel speaking to him. What I want you to see in the text is this. Joseph was known for who he was, not what he did. Now, you all know that Joseph was a, what, what, what was, his, what was his, his calling? What was his job? He was a, but you only know that because it says of Jesus later that is this not Jesus, the carpenter's son? You do not know that because Joseph proclaimed that. This is really important. Wherever you are in your life, you and I may find our identity in the things we do. That's not where Joseph found his identity. Joseph was known for who he was, that is, being a just man. He, he's not introduced to us as a carpenter. He's introduced to us by his character. Joseph was known for who he was, not what he did. And so he's not concerned about his reputation. He's just concerned about doing and being the right kind of person. And here's the third idea there. 
Um, Joseph believed and obeyed without self-pity for his difficulties. Joseph believed and obeyed without self-pity for his difficulties. Now, take your Bibles and jump over with me to the Luke 2 story. And at the end of that story, we're introduced to um, Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. And when they do that, they make an offering. That offering can be in any number of ways, but for the most impoverished, it was two pigeons or two doves. You still had to make the offering, but it was less if you had less. In Luke chapter 2, this is what we read. And when they came, um, let me find it here, verse 24, there it is. Uh, verse 22, and when they came, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer, look at verse 24, a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Here it comes, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which means, just think about this for a moment. You're in a kingly line, you know that, probably Joseph is, was in that, we see that from Matthew chapter 1. He knew that he was in the line of kings, but he was a carpenter. Suddenly, he is told by an angel that he's about to give birth, that his wife is about to give birth, and in his line is going to fall the one who is the king of kings. The birth happens, and all he has to give, he doesn't even have a nursery set up. He doesn't have a home. They're probably renting something down in Bethlehem or staying with family. He doesn't have any of that. And it just struck me that if that was my life, Um, Kim would tell you this in advance, I would be filled with self-pity. I'd be saying, look, we're supposed to give birth to a king and we can't even provide a place for him to sleep. I can't provide anything but the cheapest of sacrifices. We would think in terms of all of those difficulties and Joseph doesn't do that. There's no mention of that. There's no mention of him ever doing anything else but simply awakening from the dream and obeying. Joseph believed and obeyed. And one of the things that you're going to find with each one of these characters is that the angels speak to them and that one of the first things they say is, do not be afraid, which means we find in the text something to replace our fear with. This is so helpful. How many of you from time to time in the course of, in the last two years have struggled with fear? Can I see your hands? Okay, thank you. The rest of you, you'll think about it and you'll put your hand up in about five minutes when you realize what I said, okay? We've all struggled with fear. The angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid. The angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. The angels say to the shepherds, do not be afraid. Over and over again, they're told not to be afraid, but they each replace it with something different. Joseph replaces his fear with surrender. That's right. Joseph replaces his fear, I'm convinced, with surrender. Because the moment that he is asked to do something, he just goes ahead and does it. It's no longer about his will. It's no longer about his self-pity. It's no longer about concern for his reputation. It's just about him surrendering. So when you think of Joseph, he replaced fear with surrender. Let me talk briefly with you about Mary for just a moment. Uh, Mary believed with humility. Joseph believed and obeyed, but Mary believed with humility. It's hard to read the story about Mary without just picking up the scent of her humility. Go, go back with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 29. Chapter 1, verse 29, when she um, receives um, her pregnancy test from an angel, okay? She discovers she's pregnant because the angel tells her, right? Um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, it says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, now notice this. 
Look at the verse in front of it. And he, that is, this angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she immediately struggles to try to understand it. Just for a moment, um, let me just use what is probably the best example of pride and arrogance. Um, you can pick about any professional athlete you want to pick, okay? And imagine if you said to them, you're a favored one, what they would say. Uh, probably a little better than that, actually, okay? Pride works in such a way that when we're told we're something, we usually think we're even better than that. Humility goes the other way, that when we're told we're something, we usually think, hmm, I don't deserve any of that. What you find in Mary is she struggles with this statement, why am I favored? What would I have done? She doesn't feel for a moment that she's entitled, and you hear that in the text. In fact, uh, that's the essence of humility. There isn't a, I deserve it. There's not going to be that in Mary's life. I noticed something else as well. I noticed that she believed with humility without taking credit for any accomplishment, This is a great phrase, and I just want to show it to you um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. In Luke chapter 1, verse 30, there's this great phrase when she meets up with Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verse, oh no, the angel first. And I'm coming to the Elizabeth in a second. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now that phrase, favor with God, is used over and over again throughout the Bible. Now, just listen to this. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Joseph found favor with Potiphar. You may remember that the Israelites had been, the Jewish people had been slaves for 400 years, and when they got ready to leave, they didn't have any money. And, and God said, listen, just go tell the Egyptians, give us your gold and silver. And that's what they did. And the text says they found favor with the Egyptians, okay? Wait, these are the people you've served as slaves for 400 years. They are dumping their gold and silver on you as you leave, okay? They found favor. Moses found favor in Genesis 33, 17. Ruth found favor with Boaz as a result of the goodness of the Lord in Ruth chapter 2. Daniel found favor with the king in Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. And the early church found favor in with, the, with those in the community in Luke chapter 2. Here's what I want you to see. That phrase is always about grace. It's about the grace of God being expressed. It's not about accomplishment. And it's really cool because when you see it occur, whether it's Noah, whether it's Moses, whether it's Mary, you never hear them saying, oh, that's right, we deserve this. Rather, they see it as an expression or an act of grace. I always got to pause here and um, just correct at Christmas time what I call Santa Claus theology, right? Um, he, he knows who's been naughty, he knows who's been nice, and he gives gifts accordingly, okay? There's something so ironic about that kind of statement. Now, the, the lyric was probably written by parents who wanted their kids to obey them or something, okay? But it has nothing at all to do with the gospel because the gospel is presented as a gift to all the naughty which all have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, And even those who attempt to be nice at times, the gift is still given, not based upon our performance. And this is the thing about Mary. Mary believed with humility without taking credit for any accomplishment. 
And she says, you recognize that in her song in Luke chapter 1, she immediately starts to sing when she meets Elizabeth, and here is what she says. She says, my heart is rejoiced in my, uh, in my Savior. She recognizes even she needs a Savior. And then I notice one final thing with Mary. Here it is. Um, Mary, believe with humility and with a servant's heart. Look back with me at Luke 1, 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And there we read, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And then look at Luke chapter 1, verse 48. When she starts her song, this is what she sings. Uh, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She sees herself as a servant. Her belief is a result of her humility. And here's what you see as well. Mary found favor as the recipient of unmerited grace. And I think this is important because this is what replaces her fear. The angel says to Mary, fear not. But it's the same thing. She replaced fear with God's grace. She did not see herself as entitled, but she saw herself as in need of the gift of the gospel. Let's talk about the shepherds briefly, if we could. Uh, The shepherds believed and rejoiced. This is great. They were our uh, first kind of wound up worship band, okay? They couldn't get enough of telling everybody about what had just happened. And I love this. Um, The shepherds believed and rejoiced. And here's the first thing, without concern for convenience. Okay, now, um, how many of you have ever worked a night shift in your life? Can I see your hand? Wow, look at all those hands, okay. Then you know that having worked a night shift, when people try to talk to you the next morning, okay, after the night shift, how's that usually go? Not all that great, right? Okay, like, let me go to sleep. You're just waking up. Let me go to sleep kind of thing. Um, so we, we, here's what I want you to see. The shepherds were to pull in a night shift, okay? They were out there at night. It wasn't convenient for them to leave. It wasn't like, hey, here's the schedule. I'm going to go see a baby in town. Can somebody else watch the sheep? Okay. It wasn't like that at all. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, there's this wonderful providence again. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. They went, even though without concern for their convenience, without concern for their comfort. They went without questioning the message. Luke chapter 2, verse 12. Now, if you're an analytical person and angel said to you, listen, the king of kings is born, the savior of the world is born, where's he going to be? He's going to be in a manger. He's going to be in a food trough. You'd have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't he going to be in a palace? Okay. They don't ask any of those questions. They just say, hey, we're looking for a baby in a manger. Where's the baby in the manger? Where's the baby in the manger? They do not analyze the message and doubt the message. They simply say, without questioning, we believe and we'll rejoice. I love this as well. They rejoice with a desire for a first-hand experience. We see that in chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, For there we read, um, chapter 2, verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They immediately say, listen, we don't want to hear it secondhand. We want to know it firsthand. I, I love that. It's It's them wanting to experience what the angel had told them was there. 
And then I notice as well that they go almost immediately, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. The shepherds believed and rejoiced with a passion to tell others. They just wanted to tell others, right? They wanted to tell them about Jesus. They had no concern for convenience. They weren't questioning the message. They had a desire for firsthand experience, and they had a passion to tell others. This is how they experienced their faith. Now, just for a moment, the shepherds are a really good example. Here they're out in the field. They don't know if there's a baby or not. They've just been told there was one. They take a step of faith. They go and see. They go and see and discover the baby the exact way that the angels had told them was there. Now they have a desire to experience it firsthand. They experience it firsthand. By faith, they begin to tell everybody else about this baby that they have seen. Shepherds believed and rejoiced. And remember, the angels said, fear not, fear not. And I've loved that. Like, you see an angel talking to them, giving them a message, singular, and then he says, fear not. And then all of a sudden, wham, like the whole heavens light up, okay? Like if you were afraid, if you were afraid of one angel, you're probably going to be afraid of 10 million angels, okay? But he says, listen, don't be afraid. And instead, what do they do? Uh, they replace fear with glorifying God. That's right. They replace their fear with glorifying God. For it says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying concerning the child. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned back to their sheep, went right back to work, okay, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They heard the message from the angels. They saw it with their own eyes, and all they could do was glorify God. Let's think about that for a moment. When do we pause with our fears and stop and say, I just want to give glory to God. There's one more group I want to look at, and I I know they're typically associated with the Christmas story, and if you've been a a Christian for any period of time, you know automatically that the wise men aren't really at the stable, okay? Um, So maybe with your nativity scene, you you have your nativity scene in your living room, and you you put the wise men over in the dining room someplace, okay? They're not there yet, okay? That's the story, okay? And, And yet I think when we have a hint from the Scriptures of when they got there. Because remember, when, um, when, when Herod speaks to them, he ascertains from them when the star appeared, when the birth star appeared. He, they, and they say, well, the star appeared, you know, at such and such a time. And when they actually leave, he goes back and executes children who are two years and younger, which means what? That from the time the star appeared to say that the baby was born to this point, it's probably been a couple of years And, you know, you see that in the story, too, because Mary's there, but Joseph isn't there. He's probably working somewhere in Bethlehem when the wise men appear. And can you imagine that? Hey, Mary, how was your day? Uh, You're never going to believe what happened today. Like, these three guys show up, and they give all these gifts. And it was almost like you had the shepherds, and Mary treasured that in her heart and kind of lived with that for a while. And now you have the wise men. It's like, whether it's it's the poorest or those who um, have great means, all of these people are coming to worship their son. So here's what we learned from the wise men, just a few lessons. Um, There is patience. um, the, The Magi believed and followed. That's the idea. They followed the star, they followed the star, they came to where Jesus was with, with patient seeking of God's plan, with a patient seeking of God's plan. Um, I don't know about you, but can you imagine planning out a two-year journey, right? Like, you're having to think through that, you're thinking, okay, we want to go. Can you imagine, like the Magi, just momentarily watching the heavens 
for the star, waiting, seeing the star occur. Um, some believe that they're coming from over in Persia, so they were probably those who had been under the influence of Daniel's teaching from 500 years earlier. They've been waiting a long time for this to happen. But wherever it is, they patiently seek, look each night for the star, and when they see the star, all of a sudden they say, here's the star of the king of the Jews. We're ready to go. They were patiently seeking God's plan. Not only that, um, there was a diligent planning of time travel and gift giving. They're going to travel 1,000 miles, which is uh, probably more than that, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 miles. And it's going to take them a while to get there. They're going to say, they're going to go into work, and they're going to say, hey, we're not going to be here for a couple years, okay? They're going to travel. They're thinking through the gifts that they're giving. They're, they're pulling together their savings. They're purchasing. All of that stuff's going on with a diligent planning on their part because they're going to follow. And I love that. It's such a great reminder that Christ is worth that, right? He is worth us, the interruption of our time, the interruption of our travel plans, the interruption and our thoughts on gift giving. And finally, one last one. You may remember from Matthew chapter 2 that after they do worship the child, they're thinking, oh, we've got to go back to Herod, giving him the benefit of the doubt. And and again, uh, 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 the word of the Lord comes to them in a dream and says, listen, don't go back to Herod. He's going to kill the child. We want you to go home another way. And they do that. These people who had planned their trip for two years pivot in one dream and turn and go home a different way because there was a willingness to adjust their plans for the sake of God's. And I started to think about that, like... They were in danger, even though they may not have realized it. They, too, could have experienced fear, and they replaced their fear with sacrifice. Two years of travel, certain gifts that would be given, um, just they're there for such a short time. It doesn't even appear that Joseph makes it home from work, okay? Uh, after two years, they give their gifts, and they head back. This is just a great picture of their degree of sacrifice. Um, I was reminded of that on my Christmas morning uh, because two, a couple nights ago I, I was following my friend Greg who's an American pastor who still serves in Ukraine and chose not to leave. And uh, I'm following his story and, you know, um, he's saying, please pray for us. We're still here in Kiev. Uh, we have electricity for two hours a day um, because our power grid has been so damaged by the Russians. So while it's winter, um, and the temperature is about what it is here, okay? So I'm kind of tracking with them on that. Um, we get electricity two hours a day. That gives, that's when we get our water. That's when we get... And I'm sitting there thinking all of that. And then this morning, when I get up early, the first thing that hits my message is a message from Greg, okay? Merry Christmas, Phil. Okay. Now, I've been reticent to even use Merry Christmas when I speak of, to Ukrainians because it feels like I'm about to say to them, like, hey, have a Merry Christmas like we do. But here is a man who still finds that Christmas is a time of rejoicing, even though all of the circumstances around him um, are not. And I share that with you because I, I just want you to remember that what they replaced their fear with was the opportunity for sacrifice. So this year, What do you want to replace your fear with? Surrender, like Joseph? Humility, like Mary? Glorifying God, like the shepherds? Or sacrifice, like the wise men? 
We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.